Hi, I'm Paul Shari, Senior Fellow and Director of the Technology and National Security Program here at the Center for New American Security. And I'm joined today by my colleagues uh, on the tech program, Kara Frederick. Welcome, Kara. Thanks, Paul. Good to be here. And Megan Lamberth. Welcome. Thanks, Paul. So we're here today to talk about the ATLAS program, sort of a little mini controversy uh, that, that's come up in the past few weeks about this Army program. Um, I'm going to ask you in a moment, Megan, for you to give us a play-by-play -play of what's happened as this sort of little, little small brouhaha about this program has unfolded. But let's just start with the acronym. What does ATLAS stand for? Yeah, for sure. So it is the Advanced Targeting and Lethality Automated System. So there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of trigger words there. What, what's your reaction to that, Kara? When you just hear just just those words, because I feel like the words alone are almost half of the issue here. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, lethality automated—that's the the biggest fear that a lot of these NGOs are propagating in a lot of their public discourse, right? The fear that people, or namely the United States Department of Defense. Um, and its peer competitors are going to start um, visiting violence on uh, their enemies in an automated fashion. And when you have an acronym that boldly and explicitly states, hey, we are automating lethality, then I, I really don't know what uh, these PR components of the Army expected when they put that out there. Yeah, that's going to get attention and probably not in the way that the Army would have liked. Um, you know, the other interesting thing is sometimes... People, because a lot of the discussion and debate is around autonomous weapons, I'll hear people say, well, no, 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 we mean automated systems. And here we have the word automated, but that certainly hasn't dodged, uh, you know, some of this criticism. So let's, um, Megan, let's just, maybe you could walk us through what's happened over the past few weeks uh, as this Atlas program has drawn some media attention. Yeah, so I'll try to explain this as as succinctly as possible. So on February 11th, the Army posted something called the Federal Business Opportunity for the Atlas program. And in the Army's original announcement that was posted online, it said it sought to use AI and machine learning to develop, quote, autonomous target acquisition technology that could provide ground combat vehicles or tanks the capability to, quote, acquire, identify, and engage targets at least three times faster than the current manual process. And so a little time went by, and, uh, and a little bit after, there was an article in Quartz that came out with uh, the pretty catching headline, the U.S. Army wants to turn tanks into AI-powered killing machines. Ooh, that's, that, that's definitely yeah, an excitable headline, AI-powered killing machines. Yeah. So that was not great. Um, and so it led to like further backlash, and of course, like that headline got picked up by other outlets. Um, and it led many in the tech and defense communities to question um, if this new, if, if the Atlas program was, was violating like previous DOD directives and norms. So again, some time passed, and the Army actually revised its uh, original announcement. And it added a paragraph about the program adhering to the guidelines and the DOD's directive uh, from, uh, I believe, 2014 the 3000.09, uh, and it quoted that nothing in this notice should be understood to represent a change in DOD policy towards autonomy and weapon systems. And that seems to have eventually sort of calmed things down, the Army's correction. Um, what's, what's interesting is, of course, that as near as we can tell, it doesn't look like the Army's changed their goals of the program or what it's involved in, but they are changing... Um, what they've said about it in the sense that they've clarified what was 
as near as I can tell, the intention all along, which was that this would be operating in accordance with existing policies and constraints, and of course the laws of war, um, which are some good things that maybe maybe the army could have just led with in the first place. You know, the other interesting thing about this that that wasn't highlighted in the original announcement or in the revised one, but army senior leaders have talked about publicly, and an army undersecretary Ryan McCarthy was here at CNAS uh, not long ago and, and spoke on this was this idea that humans will still always be in control of this system. And in fact, for Atlas, what I've heard directly from people in the Army familiar with the program is their intention is to keep humans in the loop. Uh, but that's not, that wasn't something that they made clear, at least, you know, at the beginning. Actually, Paul, now that you bring it up, can you help clear uh, up a common misconception about DOD Directive 3000.09? You helped draft it in 2012, if I'm not mistaken. So there's a a common misconception that it explicitly states that there is supposed to be a human in the loop when you um, are using and developing these automated systems. Is that the case or is uh, is, is that wrong? Yeah, no, the directive doesn't say that. It doesn't. And it, there is a common perception of that. Um, I, I'm not sure totally where it comes from other than the fact that the directive is not, you know, written in probably the most um, understandable language. It's a it's a DOD directive. And so it has to go through some really intense bureaucratic gobbledygook. Um, and, and the nature of these, these sort of documents is that they go through some internal administrative processes that, that make it just make it hard to use sort of common sense language and prose. Um, it makes them more precise uh, if you want to sort of follow a lot of the statements in there and follow a process. But it is a little bit harder to understand actually what it's saying, um, which I think is unfortunate. But no, it, what, it, what the directive really does is it lays out a few buckets of things that um, the department has been using for a long time. And in fact, militaries around the globe use for a long time. Things like homing munitions, or automated defensive systems like the Aegis combat system or the Patriot air and missile defense system that are in use by at least 30 countries around the globe today. And, and it sort of says, hey, these things go forth and do. These are fine. And it clarifies the policy surrounding those, that those are permitted. And then it creates a process for anything else. So anything else that's outside of those um, buckets of how people are very familiar with using autonomy It creates a process to go seek approval and get approval and lays out who would approve inside the department uh, developing and fielding a weapon system and then what the criteria would be. But it doesn't anywhere say, oh, you have to use a human in the loop. It says if you have a human in the loop, you're fine and you can do that. And if you want to take someone out, well, you've got to ask permission first. Um, Now, having said that, DOD leaders have said repeatedly their intention is to keep humans in the loop. So you can think of that as sort of small p policy. It's the intention of senior leaders, but that's not what the official DOD directive itself mandates. And I think what really helped me clarify my thinking on this was when you used the metaphor of a a red light, right? So while it's not explicitly stated that you have to have a human in the loop, if you're thinking about any of these things during the development of these weapons and the automated uses thereof or within, then you have to kind of treat it as a a stop sign, a red light to go forth and continue to to, um, uh, discuss more on the appropriate levels of human judgment and the use of force. Yeah, yeah, it's not a, it's it's definitely not a red light. I mean, it's a, it's maybe a yellow light. Proceed with caution. Maybe um, I think in a recent article um, in Breaking Defense that Sidney Freeberg wrote, which I thought was a very good analysis unpacking all of this controversy surrounding Atlas. 
um, he, he referred to it as kind of a stop sign. Hey, stop, you know, ask permission, and then you can proceed. Um, but it's, it's not, you know, it's not, it doesn't tie the department's hands. Now let's talk about um, this sort of, this sort of cult of lethality, because I think that is contributing to a little bit of this, um, this tension between what the department is doing and how others are reacting to it. Obviously that's wrapped up in the acronym there in ATLAS, but it comes up in other areas as well. Um, Secretary Mattis, uh, during his tenure in the department, very excited about lethality. People do a good job of catching on to these, these buzzwords. How is that perceived on the outside? Yeah, no, I think that's a, a great point. And I think that uh, kind of points to the, the critical issue uh, that I think came out in this Army's announcement was this was very much a self-inflicted wound uh, that it, it could have been avoided by including clear language, um, including maybe a line about keeping a human in the loop, uh, at least for the, the public language. Um, and I think it points to more broadly just the, the, the tension of, of words like engagement and lethality and what those mean to internally to the military and, and defense department versus what they would mean to um, like a everyday person in society. Yeah, I think what it comes down to is there's a perception issue here. Uh, that's the the number one thing where we're not talking necessarily every, you know, relationship with Silicon Valley and between Silicon Valley and DOD doesn't consist of weapons development, right? So when you think of, you know, what when you're employing these technologies, uh, Project Maven is a very well-reported instance where the perception issue came to a head as well. And people hear that they're um, using image recognition algorithms uh, for, for use with drones. So when the public hears drones, a lot of the times they think immediately offensive uses, right? Killing, targeted killings, that kind of thing. So when we inject terms like lethality into the public discourse, we do have to have a cognition of how the rest of the world is going to perceive that. So uh, you're talking drones, you're talking lethality, you're talking DOD, you're talking military. Um, in, in the military, these debates have been had and, you know, the, the questions of, you know, like using drones has largely been answered, but not in, in the public debate itself. So we have to have an understanding of, of what the public hears and sees when, when such things come about. And lethality may mean one thing to the defense community and a completely different thing for the software engineer working in Silicon Valley. So if it's, uh, if you're saying that everything we do is going to be more lethal, I mean, it means different things to people walking the halls of the Pentagon than it does to walking the halls of Google. Absolutely. And I've got to say, I've got to give the Army credit that, um, that while this was a, a bit, probably probably could have been avoided through more proactive um, um, communication up front, they've been, you know, fairly responsive in terms of being able to respond effectively to this and, and, and pretty nimble um, after some of these news headlines. Uh, the Army had a, an engineer out speaking on this on the record publicly. Um, and I want to quote one of the things he said where we talked about um, this being used as, quote, an assistant for people. Um, and he said explicitly, you know, um, we're, not, we're not talking about, you know, killer robots. We're not trying to replace soldiers. We're trying to find technology to augment and assist the decisions that soldiers are making, in this case, inside tanks, um, although it's going to be the case in, in other settings as well. Um, and I also want to want to add sort of this was was Ryan McCarthy's quote where he says um, at at CNAS at this event that we held quote our policy is having a human in the loop because a human can understand context and again I would interpret that as small p policy that's the 
you know, that's not what the directive says, but that is the intent of senior leaders um, to keep a human in the loop on these decisions. So credit to the Army for, for moving quickly uh, in the response, um, but, but definitely you know, this probably could have all been avoided um, by, just, by just giving these kind of things a good, good scan ahead of time. Yeah, and if I could give one more shout out to um, the new joint AI center, the Jake. Um, in that article you quoted, Paul, from Sidney Friedberg in Breaking Defense, uh, he got a quote from Jack Shanahan, um, who had immediately con- contacted the Army after the Atlas program was posted online to try and mitigate um, negative press. So I think this is a good sign that like the Jake is a, is a quick reaction force, that they're attuned to these issues, um, and hopefully as the, the Jake um, continues to like kind of spread its wings throughout the department that um, I think this is a good sign moving forward. Yeah, and the trend lines are, are pretty positive, I think, in this regard. If you look at DOD, I mean, they're establishing a list of ethical principles of AI. Um, that's a step in the right direction. Broadly, they've already keyed in on uh, their first national mission initiatives, uh, two of which include humanitarian uses of AI and predictive maintenance. So it's not all about this pounding of, you know, we're going to be more lethal, we're going to be better at killing, that kind of thing. It's these technologies being as diffuse as they are, are going to be used for a variety of use cases, and a lot of which will help mitigate some of the global, the challenges that um, these, the disruptions that these technologies are are going to create in the first place, um, but also help with things that, problems that we can't tackle with the, uh, the way we're using technology today. So I think the DOD, you know, I don't, I don't want to say that they're not aware of, you know, how this reads or how this briefs in the real world. They definitely are, and uh, I think it's only growing more positive in terms of their response. Yeah. No, that's a great point, and I am very encouraged by the role that Jake is playing in leading in this area um, by the, the messages in there. Uh, unclassified summary of the AI strategy, and then the rule in this thing. Of course, the Jake can't be a gatekeeper and shouldn't be for everything happening across DOD, but by providing leadership um, on these issues, I think there's a lot of value there. <clears throat> I have, I think you're right, Kara, that we're seeing progress here. Uh, I think this is all to the good. I have just this slight, slight tinge that I'm a little bit afraid that this will mean less flashy Terminator pictures in all of these news articles. I've come to, I'm looking at one now in a printout from one of the articles about Atlas uh, with the BDI Terminator staring at us. And I've kind of come to, to get used to these a little bit. Um, <laughs> Well, uh, I think we could maybe retain some of those visuals, but just put like a red X through them, right? I don't know. <laughs> okay. There's, there's got to be some way that we can uh, make people more excited about this rather than putting death and destruction like in vivid terms right in front of their faces. Maybe. I don't know. Right. No, no Terminators. Okay. Okay. Um, well, good. Well, thank, uh, thank you both for joining us and, um, and thank you for listening. This is Paul Shari from the Technology and National Security Program at CNS, um, joined today by Kara Frederick and Megan Lamberth. Thanks for being here. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Paul.